You're listening to Leverage. To Leverage. To Leverage. An ASA Studios production. I am Peter Caldas, President and CEO of the American Society on Aging. And on today's episode of Leverage, we'll be talking about the bipartisan infrastructure deal and what it means for older adults. Joining me are two of ASA's board of directors, Gina Beck, Senior Living Alexa Smart Properties Leader for Amazon, and Davis Park, Vice President, Frontport Center for Innovation and Wellbeing. Welcome, Davis and Gina. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So President Biden signed the bipartisan infrastructure deal. There's investments in there uh, for roads, bridges, lead pipes, and other forms of transportation. But this new signed legislation also focuses on one of ASA's policy priorities, which is bridging the digital divide. Uh, It invests $65 billion into affordable broadband, ensuring that basically every American can participate in the modern economy. Uh, Davis, let me start with you. What else is in this infrastructure bill? So uh, as part of this infrastructure bill, the administration is setting aside 42 billion, 42 and a half um, for broadband deployment to states. Um, and, uh, and, and as part of that package, uh, part of the, the, the whole infrastructure package, they're also gonna be putting, setting aside 14 billion for the affordable connectivity program, which currently in its current form is also known as the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. And so the EBB was initially in place uh, to address uh, connectivity concerns and gaps um, in the midst of COVID. And and that that program is gonna expire, but in its place is gonna be this affordable connectivity program. There are gonna be a couple changes specific to that initiative, but uh, what we're really excited about is that it's going to continue to provide subsidies, um, you know, particularly for those who most need it, uh, to be able to pay for their broadband uh, broadband connection bills. So um, this is like this is a, a pretty massive uh, massive uh, set aside for like the upgrading of broadband and connectivity but also for the access to devices, for people to have more affordable, more affordable um, uh, tablets, computers, phones, and laptops to be able to connect to the, the, their broadband uh, connections. But it's also gonna be setting aside funding for us to be able to train older adults um, and, and communities that, that have really been left behind in, in the digital divide. This is uh, an extraordinary set of investments, particularly in the um, in the digital space. Gina, what, what excites you about what's in this bill? Well, first of all, I think it, it really is quite amazing that um, I know that Obama had done something similar in 2009 with the BTOP um, opportunity. But what's really great is that it wasn't just about you know, yes, they're giving more money to the infrastructure, but it was it was also the discussion about it being a right of everyone to have access to technology. And I think the way that it was written, I think is pretty amazing. Um, but the pieces on the execution side that 
are really interesting is that there's $3 billion that's dedicated for training um, to make sure that everyone, regardless of language or ability, has the skills and the ability to fully engage in digital life, which to be honest, I think that's amazing. What's going to be interesting is how that money is actually scoped out um, disseminated and, and selected, like who gets to access that money um, and what's considered um, good training? Like, is there a, an actual description around that? Um, and, you know, and, and is there measures around that? I think it's going to be important because someone can say training and it could just be like, hey, we're going to give you a book and someone's going to teach you and that's it. And then there's a way to take training from just a foundation to something more of a mastery where folks are really using it for the benefit, which is healthcare, um, you know, education. I think the means of what they want this to be for. Um, the other thing I thought to, to Davis's point is this connectivity benefit. Um, the barrier to the EBB, if I recall, has a lot to do with how people didn't know it existed. That was the first part. The second part was then trying to apply for EBB. And so that process wasn't easy. And so you have to make it, A, everybody needs to know. I think it's like $30 per month to offset the cost of broadband access for eligible households, which is about $14 billion subsidy. And the second question, the second point is, now, now that you know, do you know how you can apply for it? And that process, if it's anything like government stuff is usually not easy. And so to simplify it so that access could be easy would be important. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good, that's a really good point. Um, in terms of the bill's implementation, uh, Davis, you know, how do you think it's going to get implemented? What, what concerns do you have about its implementation? Well, the, the implementation uh, and, and how the funding is going to be distributed from the, uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is um, is that it's going to flow down to the states, and so the states are then going to decide how they're going to distribute and dole out the funding, and um, and and so for ASA members to see like how this how these monies and and fundings are going to be uh, are going to materialize, it's really important that uh, you keep an eye. On, on what's happening at the state level, um, through the governor's offices, through your um, uh, uh, through health and human services departments. Um, so those are going to be the those are going to be the agencies that are essentially going to be creating uh, these shovel-ready initiatives that will be doled out throughout the regions and at the municipal uh, levels as well. So it's really important for, for uh, you to contact uh, you know, those, those state agencies and they're all, every state is gonna be doing, them, doing it in a different way. Um, so for example, in California, like the California Public Utilities Commission is gonna have a big say in the implementation of these funds. And, and like some, in some states, municipalities are gonna have a higher voice uh, or a stronger voice because they they just they're simply organized a lot better. So um, it, it's really going to again depend on on where you're going to be uh, where you're located, um, and and so that that also kind of uh, leads uh, to the next question that you that you asked is, is like what what are my concerns and 
Um, my concerns are, are really uh, on, on how we get the information to the right people at the right time and how we as, SA, as ASA members, as representatives of our, or, our own uh, organizations can advocate for the communities that we're serving. So it's really, really important to um, kind of hone in on, on who the players are, who's, whole, who's going to who's going to ultimately be holding those purse strings for, for us to, to stand up and say, hey, you know, I am serving a population of older adults that are, that are not connected. Um, you know, please make sure that our voices are represented when it comes to distribution of these funds. Yeah, those are really good points. Davis, are there states that are particularly tech friendly that you expect to do this well? You know, we have ASA members from across the country. I'm wondering if there are some pretty obvious heavy hitters here who are sophisticated and are um, uh, going to be particularly inclusive of older adult needs? Uh, I, I, I don't know the full answer to that, but I think that what comes top of mind for me is Ohio. Um, Ohio is very like well-organized as a state, in, uh, but it's kind of moot because if you are in Ohio, you probably already know about it <laughs> um, uh, because they, they do such a great job in, in doing outreach and, and just getting communities uh, knowing what's happening. And I, I would also um, guess that the state of New York is, is pretty well connected too. Um, they've got a lot of great uh, programs, not just in the, the heavily urban uh, areas, but also in throughout the rural um, uh, 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 regions as well. And I think that there's quite a bit of uh, work uh, being done in Maine too. I've, I've heard some, some really good news coming out of that state. Gino, um, how would you um, explain to ASA members uh, the things they need to do uh, to ensure older adults are considered uh, when it comes to the implementation of this bill? Well, you know, the, the one thing, and it's interesting, some of the content, Peter, that you even shared with me, I was reading, um, I was reading particularly fascinated by the ben Benton Institute for Broadband and Society. And I really liked the content in regards to um, I think there's always this, like, we always get the scraps. Older adults, underserved, get kind of like the lowest of the low type of broadband. And, and one of the things that they pointed out um, in their kind of their note was that this is not just about low broadband. This is like high speed broadband for individuals and families and communities to be able to work and connect re remotely. And I think um, from an ASA perspective to understand that we're not getting leftovers we actually have access and equal access to the best type of broadband service. Now, keeping that in mind to Davis's earlier point is that I think we have to get the word out. And as ASA members, not only do we have to get the word out, we also have to advocate to know that the intention of this bill was not that, oh, you're underserved, so you only get this. No, we, it actually promotes equal access and what equality means for an older adult is as equal as, you know, whoever, like a millennial or whoever thinks what, you know, more valuable of what broadband it means to them. So I just think that we, I think we just need to take it not only with the, the stride that this is something that's empowering us as ASA members, but I think as ASA members, 
we also have to do a really good job of advocating and initiating our older adults who are not connected. And that current number based on the Aging Connected Report with Oats and Humana is 22 million. So we need to work hard to see how do we get those 22 million older adults connected and find a way to get access to the affordability of this. That's a really good point. So if implemented perfectly uh, with older adults in mind, I'm wondering, and this is for the both of you really, what does the digital divide look like in three to five, 10 years from now as a result of this, this really historic investment? So Davis and I were on a project together um, during the Christmas holidays. I can't believe it's been over a year, Davis. It's going to be hitting that one-year mark. And it was actually in one of the affordable housing communities that Davis serves at Front Porch in LA. Predominantly, it happened to be, and again, because Davis and I are both Korean, so we obviously, not that we're biased, but they were Korean-Americans who were in underserved affordable setting. And it really did, it kind of opened my eyes even more because I think there's a lot of rhetoric out there. People know, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, underserved, can't believe they're not connected. But then when you're knee deep inside of it and see like what exactly happens when they're disconnected. So we did like this quick impromptu um, fast track thing where we gave folks some connectivity, uh, a MiFi hotspot. We gave like 25 residents and we gave them a device to connect them. And when we opened their eyes, there was like folks actually said words like, um, it's like I have got, I've gone from black and white to a technicolor world. And it was just amazing because this was heartfelt. And this, these words came out of residents because it really did feel transformational. And what Davis and I, and I'm not trying to speak for Davis, but, <laughs> but I think we equally believe that if um, in three to five years that we could walk into one of our communities like that, that's underserved, and that all of them not only are blown away by the connectivity, but they're also empowered to do things like what the bill intends you see their doctor virtually, connect with um, friends socially, um, engage in a way where their wellness is heightened and improved. Um, ultimately, that would be amazing to see. Now, Davis and I, and Davis, you need to talk because I keep talking over you, but Davis, <laughs> we have a little cynicism because you know um, there is a piece where we would love to see that in three to five years, but sometimes we get in our own way and um, my worst fear is that money is not done, is distributed in the right way, and the access is limited to a certain amount of people. So our, I hope that that doesn't happen and that we can open that door. Yeah. Thanks, Gina. And I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Gina like really tell has told the story very well um, in terms of what we hope things would look like in, in the past three to five years. Uh, the project that Gina is talking about and referring to is called Lighthouse, um, which is like this, this uh, really amazing collaboration of senior living providers in uh, UC Berkeley and, um, and uh, an, another senior living provider named Eschaton. And, um, and uh, as, as we, as we if, as we're right in the thick of deploying right now, bringing devices to an affordable housing community 
that has just lit up the building with free Wi-Fi for every resident. We just started handing these devices out yesterday. And uh, there are some bright faces, some people who, are, people who are absolutely thrilled and excited. But there was this one, one person, this one resident who like clearly struggled. She really had a hard time with like navigating through a device. And, you know, there are like two trainers and, and staff like around her, like trying to navigate through her device. And, and she had some hearing issues. She, uh, she was Korean monolingual, didn't speak a whole lot of English. Um, and, and I was just watching her like really just trying to like touch a screen and, and, and engage with this interface. And, and like, and I just could not help but think, wow, these, the, the way these devices are designed suck. They're just really lousy. They're not designed for older eyes, for older fingers, and, and, and for, for older hands, just simply to hold and, and to in, engage and interact with, like that is the barrier that keeps them from getting to the information, to the people, to the content that's really important to them. And, and so when I look three to five years, like I, I'm trying to imagine this, like what's gonna be like for this particular person this individual in in half a decade, and I'm really not sure. I'm really not. My my hope, my my dream, and and my vision for what this massive infrastructure bill is going to do is that it's going to change design. It's going to change how these devices, how we interact with these devices, uh, in, in in order for them to be universally friendly, for them to be universally accessible to to everybody, regardless of your vision, your hearing, uh, and your language abilities. Um, and, and so I, I think that that's entirely possible. And, and I hope that's in the cards in, in this infrastructure bill. Um, we can only hope, but it's only gonna come if we as advocate, advocates push for these kinds of design changes and, and for changes in content that would allow us as consumers to be able to consume it. Yeah, it's a it's an optimistic future, no question, thanks to these historic investments, but one we have to be very intentional about and and mindful of how we design Absolutely. for it. Uh, but I share your optimism, I share your hope and the opportunity that that um, more and more people will uh, be included in our digital universe. And um, you know, the truth is it wouldn't be happening without your leadership. Um, your leadership at ASA, uh, and for the both of you for helping us close the digital divide for older adults. So Gina and Davis, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on Leverage and, and again, for your leadership. Hey, I, I do want to say one thing. I know you want to wrap us up. <laughs> I do want to say one thing though. I just, one of my big thing is we have this tendency of forgetting and we're still in the end of are the novel, you know, coronavirus and the pandemic. But the thing about it is that was daunting about our, our engagement with that um, community was the fact that residents had not seen a single person all year. And what I don't want to see is three to five years when we have another pandemic, because we just can't say we won't, right? I don't want to hear about these stories where folks have never seen a person for over a year. And that should be in and of itself be sitting behind our head, like reminding us that this is not right. This is not the future that we envision. And three to five years, 
I, I mean, technically, I'm an ARP card holding member. <laughs> so is Davis. But um, <laughs> but three to five years, we don't want to be in that environment where older adults still have the same problem. And Davis and I got involved like um, 12 years ago when the BTOP grant first came in. And so to see that this is still a problem, it kind of, it really does break my heart. Like this shouldn't be in the land of the free with all the opportunity. Why do we have this problem still exist? And so I hope that we next time in three to five years, Peter, you're talking, we're talking, and we can talk about, you know, the possibilities versus what wasn't done. Uh, I'm with you. Beautiful. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so I have nothing else to say to that. I can't wrap it up anymore, <laughs> Gina. You wrapped it up for me. Uh, but I will say one more thing. I think I think that closing the digital divide and preparing for the future is extraordinarily important, uh, which is why we hope everyone listening uh, to leverage uh, this podcast on the politics of aging joins us at On Aging 2022, which is ASA's annual membership conference, where we'll be talking about advancing economic security uh, with a major focus on how technology can do that. So we hope you join us again, Gina Davis. Thank you so much. Uh, for your insights today. Thanks, Peter, and thank you, Gina. Thank you.